happy times, sad times, remaining faithful. I don't want to be a flash in a pan kind of guy. I'd much rather be really boring but faithful than someone who's exciting for five minutes. Faithful to God every day, every week, every month, every year for the rest of my life. And I know that many of you feel the same way. But how do we do it? And what characterizes faithful people? And let's be honest, what seems like a faithless generation. We're in 1 Samuel 12 as we continue our series, Heart and House. So if you've got a Bible, do turn to it, 1 Samuel chapter 12. I would encourage you, uh, when you come to church, if you love Jesus, if you would say, yeah, this is my church, bring a Bible. Try and avoid the phones. There are just all kinds of distractions. And it's good for us to flick through the Bible and work out, where's this? And where's that in relation to that? And it's just helpful. All right, here's what 1 Samuel 12 says. I'm going to read it in different chunks. Samuel said to all Israel, I have listened to everything you said to me and have set a king over you. Now you have a king as your leader. As for me, I am old and gray, and my sons are here with you. I have been your leader from my youth until this day. Here I stand. Testify against me in the presence of the Lord and his anointed. Whose ox have I taken? Whose donkey have I taken? Whom have I cheated? Whom have I oppressed? From whose hand have I accepted a bribe to make me shut my eyes? If I have done any of these things, I will make it right. You have not cheated or oppressed us, he replied. You have not taken anything from anyone's hand. Samuel said to them, the Lord is witness against you, and also his anointed is witness this day, that you have not found anything in my hand. He is witness, he said. And Samuel said to the people, it is the Lord who appointed Moses and Aaron and brought your ancestors up out of Egypt. Now then, stand here, because I am going to confront you with evidence before the Lord as to all the righteous acts performed by the Lord for you and your ancestors. After Jacob entered Egypt, they cried to the Lord for help, and the Lord sent Moses and Aaron, who brought your ancestors out of Egypt and settled them in this place. But they forgot the Lord their God, so he sold them into the hands of Sisera, the commander of the army of Hazor, and into the hands of the Philistines and the king of Moab, who fought against them. He cried out to the Lord and said, We have sinned. We have forsaken the Lord and served the Baals and the Ashtoreths. But now, deliver us from the hands of our enemies, and we will serve you. Then the Lord sent Jerob, Baal, Barak, Jephthah, and Samuel, and he delivered you from the hands of your enemies all around you, so that you lived in safety. But then... When you saw that Nahash, king of the Ammonites, was moving against you, you said to me, no, we want a king to rule over us, even though the Lord your God was your king. Now, here is the king you have chosen, the one you have asked for. See, the Lord has set a king over you. If you fear the Lord 
and serve and obey him and do not rebel against his commands. And if both you and the king who reigns over you follow the Lord your God, good. But if you do not obey the Lord and if you rebel against his commands, his hand will be against you as it was against your ancestors. Now then, stand still and see this great thing the Lord is about to do before your eyes. Is it not wheat harvest now? I will call on the Lord to send thunder and rain, and you will realize what an evil thing you did in the eyes of the Lord when you asked for a king. I'm going to leave that last chunk for the end of our talk. The world is full of critics and cynics. COVID, I think, has really accelerated this, hasn't it? There's this dissatisfaction that we have in our leaders. We're armchair experts and keyboard warriors, and it's happened probably faster than ever before. Many of us over the last 18 months have probably found ourselves spitting about how the government or a boss at work or a church leader hasn't a clue. Any change? We joined the Israelites feeling similarly. They had hoped for much more from their leaders. They wanted their leaders to provide the kind of success that they've been seeing in the nations all around them. And it seemed like that success came when that nation had a king, and that king was uh, leading with military might. The threat of those nations was real, It's not like they were just making it up, and there didn't seem to be any kind of viable leadership succession plan. And so even without social media, without negative press, all these doomsday scenarios were being gossiped about, oh no, it's going to happen, we're going to be defeated, we're going to be crushed, we are not the nation that we should be. (gasps) Look over there, look at that nation. Wow, look at what they've got. They have this incredible army full of chariots. Look at them glimmering in the distance. Wow, did you hear about their victory here and their victory there? Have you seen the palace that their king lives in? It seems to us that if you have a king and a mighty military, you get success. How about it, guys? Should we do it too? They're like the teenage boy trying to prove that he's a good fighter. I don't know if you remember that from when you were at school. When I was at school, it was very important to be a good fighter. Who's the best fighter in the year? Who'd win in a fight out of them and them? And there's all this bravado going on, puffing up of chests and trying to be hard. Nobody actually, very few, really actually wanted to fight. They just wanted to look hard. Well, Israel is doing a bit of that. They're wanting to swagger around and stutter a bit, stu- uh, not stutter. They want to swagger around and look like the big man, posturing. The contrast here between Samuel's faithfulness to the people's fickleness couldn't be clearer. One of the most important books I have ever read is by a guy called J.I. Packer. He died uh, recently and uh, Near the end of his life, he videoed this little series um, about some of the things that he thought were the most important things to say to the church at the time. And I want us just to play a short clip from that. 
in our society, strength, or at least imagined strength, is applauded. And weakness is thought of as a defect. It means that you miss the best in life. From the age of seven, I felt weak. I was chased out into the street by a fellow student at the school I was attending. I collided with a truck. As you would expect, the truck got the better of the exchange. They were afraid that my brain might have suffered as a result of the accident. I didn't use the word weak in those days to describe how I was feeling about myself, but that is the word that catches the feeling. I can still remember the feelings. Well, this is Packer's testimony to the reality of weakness. I have now reached the point in life where inevitably I am wearing out physically. I can't have many more years to go. And as I'm conscious of wearing out physically, I find myself feeling weak. So I'm back with the theme of weakness because of what has happened to me and what is happening to me now as an old man whose body is wearing out. God doesn't allow us to stay with the idea that we are strong. Oh, we may have that idea, but the Lord is going to disabuse us one way or another, and it will be good for us, and it will give glory to him when he does so. Lest I should be puffed up because of the abundance of revelations that God had given me, I was given a thorn in the flesh. The Lord spoke to me, and this is what he said. My strength is made perfect in your weakness. So faithful people find their strength in God, not in their own strength, or even a collective strength like this army that these Israelites so desperately want. We live in the age of information. The Google search means information is available anywhere at any time, but faithfulness, like wisdom, is hard to find, and it takes time. It's too easy to look for quick fixes, and when we do, they truthfully just toss us around from one thing to the next, to the next, to the next. Listen, if we want to be part of something significant for God, if we want to be part of, significant in, of something significant in life, we need to be doing more than just jumping around from one flash in the pan to the other. We need to relearn old-fashioned faithfulness. And today, that's harder than ever. It's a voracious culture of the instantaneous. And it's not just instant finance for instant products. It's instant information for instant worldviews. One click, and it's mine, and it suits me. 
Sadly, it's infiltrated the church widely. We quickly grow critical of our churches and demand what we see on social media or read in a book. We look to other models of church which are used in other parts of the world and often so good and can help us and really inform us. But we are so easily dissatisfied that we are drawn in by the next shiny thing until we see under the surface and surprise, surprise, where people are involved. It's never all that it seems. It only takes so long before we're disillusioned again. The truth is, every time we do it, we deny God's plan to redeem the world through communities who love local churches who are committed to loving one another and centering themselves around God. Church is not a commodity, an entertainment hub, a program. It's people, messy people, centering their lives together around God, around Christ. Eugene Peterson wrote a book in fact, you'll know that he's written the message. If you've not heard of him, he's the one that, that wrote the message. It's kind of paraphrasing of the Bible. And uh, he wrote a book called A Long Obedience in the Same Direction. In it, he says this. There is a great market for religious experience in our world. There is little enthusiasm for the patient acquisition of virtue. Little inclination to sign up for a long apprenticeship in what earlier generations of Christians called holiness. Religion in our time has been captured by the tourist mindset. Religion is understood as a visit to an attractive site to be made when we have adequate leisure. Faithful people persevere and don't jump quickly from one thing to the next. During the mid-1700s, William McCulloch was the minister in the Church of Scotland up in Cambus Lang. Now, he had a sleepy, dwindling congregation. And he began to organize some events and he invited some other speakers. And uh, these speakers drew a bit of a crowd. He did it in the open air in Cambus Lang. Um, but when he got up to preach, oh, the pubs filled. The crowds dissipated. He organized more of these. He kept going. He believed that it was the right thing to do. He persevered faithfully. And he would just simply preach the good news, the gospel. He'd tell stories about extraordinary revivals happening over on the east coast of America. One day he gets up to preach, and the crowd wasn't dispersing. In fact, very oddly, people seemed to be quite engaged. They're even engaging him with eye contact. Amazing. Hanging off his every word. And he finished in prayer like he often did. Lord, who hath believed our report? And to whom is the arm of the Lord revealed? Where are the fruits of my labors among this people? And to his shock, around 50 people audibly responded. Now, this is the west of Scotland, Okay. They audibly responded. I think that counts as a miracle. They shouted out, I want him. 
I want to respond. Well, after that, an eight-month period of preaching and teaching outdoors most days, the word spread, and more and more people came to hear God's word. This guy who they just thought was boring before was captivating them with the simple truths of the gospel because the gospel, Jesus himself, was transforming lives. And then a preacher from the West Country came, George Whitfield. And this is the famous bit, if you know anything about your church history. 30,000 people all at once came to gather and hear him preach in canvas Lang. Can you believe that? Must have had some set of lungs. We feel entitled to a spiritual experience without, with minimal investment. We put it, put it on the model. We put it on the leader when it isn't immediately available to us. Now, yesterday. But as we read through history and as we read God's word, we see years of faithful people persevering in godliness in the lead up to these big breakthrough moments. We need to learn to persevere. Perhaps after the grind and the deficiency, let's be honest, of what church has been over the last 18 months, you might feel like this. Oh, what even is church? What is Glasgow Grace? Don't even know what it's about. This is a moment to persevere. This is a moment to keep going together. Invest in the people around you. Love well. Trust God. This is a time for faithfulness. A time to keep turning up when we're not feeling up. A time for realizing that when we don't show up, someone isn't being encouraged or equipped as we're called to do when we gather. Faithful people find their strength in God. Faithful people persevere in God. Verse 6, we see Samuel turn to the people and say, Stand here, because I am going to confront you. Woofed. Thought he said he was faithful. Thought he said he was a good guy. Yes, a loving and godly leader will bring confrontation, especially because we all so easily forget. You as forgetful as I am, we forget. But look at what he's confronting them with. He isn't just berating them. He isn't just saying, do better. Come on, you can do it. He's not saying that. He's actually looking at the character of God. He's looking at the faithfulness of God. He says, look, everyone, you might be fickle, but God is still faithful. In every circumstance of the past, God has been faithful to us, and you have every reason to keep trusting him. Faithful people remember the faithfulness of God. Human tendency, I think, is to be so consumed by the challenge in front of us that it causes us to have amnesia about who God is. It becomes so big in our lives that we can't see past it to see that God is still on the throne, to see that God's promises never fail, to see that God has always been there for us and always will be there for us, to see that the promises of God mean that this cannot destroy me. 
Remember, he says, you were enslaved in Egypt under a world power no one had ever seen before. And through Moses and Aaron, he brought you out. He says, remember, you were defeated by the Philistines. But what did God do? He raised up judges and delivered you from these far stronger enemies. God is not only trust, trustworthy when things are going well, He's trustworthy always, even when things are going badly, when we're in the pain and the mess. God can be trusted. What are you going through right now? What challenge is before you? What seems so big that you can't see past it and see God? Because it is nothing compared to God. That's why we take communion together. We remember how we were enslaved to sin, but that Jesus' blood speaks a better word. We remember when someone is baptized, like Leah today, that we once were dead in our sins, but now we're alive in Christ. Jesus has risen from the dead. When we meet on Sundays, we remember that Jesus has risen because every Sunday is a resurrection Sunday. The king is alive. Every time we sing, oh, let us sing together again. It's coming. We declare to one another the life-giving truth of the gospel. Every time someone preaches in this church, they preach Christ. It's still easy to forget. And the imminence of the current challenge in life is right there. It looms over us. Keep reminding each other, God still rules and reigns. And then as Samuel draws to the end of his talk, or that part of his talk, it ends with this kind of thunderous bang, literally, verse 17. God brings thunder and rain in harvest time. Now, to us, that might not mean anything. May and June is harvest time, and in Israel, that is a dry time. It would be like me saying at the end of this preach, Guys, God is going to bring snow, and it's going to be three inches of it when we go outside, and then we go outside, and there's three inches of snow. I don't think that's going to happen, but that's what it would be like. And I, I mean like in July, saying that, not in January where it might happen. Israel had failed to take God and his word seriously. They trusted their own instincts over God's word, and they'd appointed a king even when the prophet Samuel had said no. And so... What God reminds them of here is that he is the one who rules and reigns over all things, even the weather. He is the true king. There is nothing that gets past him. God has been faithful to the Israelites time and time again, and they keep forgetting. They keep being fickle and unfaithful. Surely he's had enough by now. Surely he's within his rights to say, you know what? You're on your own. I'm done. See you later. I'm going to go and find a, a new people, a people who aren't so faithless and too timing. He doesn't do that. That's not what God's like. Verse, verses 20 and 22. Let me just um, read down to the end of the passage. And Samuel called on the Lord, and that same day the Lord sent thunder and rain. So all the people stood in awe of the Lord and of Samuel. The people all said to Samuel, Pray to the Lord your God for your servants so that we will not die. 
where we have added to all our other sins the evil of asking for a king. Do not be afraid, Samuel replied. You have done all this evil, yet you do not turn away from the Lord, but serve the Lord with all your heart. Do not turn away after useless idols. They can do you no good, nor can they rescue you, because they are useless. For the sake of his great name, the Lord will not reject his people, because the Lord was pleased to make you his own. As for me, far be it from me that I should sin against the Lord by falling, uh, failing to pray for you. And I will teach you the way that is good and right. But be sure to fear the Lord and serve him faithfully with all your heart. Consider what great things he has done for you. Yet if you persist in doing well, if you persist in doing evil, both you and your king will perish. He says, do not be afraid. He says he's, he was pleased to make you his own. For we are fickle. God remains faithful. And every time we run off and make stupid decisions without consulting him, welcomes us back. It makes no sense. It really doesn't. Except that he loves us and he's merciful and compassionate towards us. Do not turn away because you think you've gone too far. As if your decision to run off and do your own thing can outweigh his faithfulness. He is still there welcoming you back ready for you. He is not like the unfaithful boyfriend. He's not like the dad who wanders in and out of your life, not like the friend who betrayed you or the backstabber at work who took all the credit for that project you put all that work into. He is there waiting for you so he can forgive you and bring you close because he loves you. Because God is faithful to his word, we don't wallow in our mistakes. We wonder at his mercy. God will never not follow through on his promises. It's who he is. He's a promise keeper. You can always be sure of that. Wherever you are in your life right now, Whatever you have done, you cannot silence his faithfulness towards you. He has not given up on you, and he never, ever will. The Apostle Paul writes to the church in Rome, chapter 5, verse 20, where sin increased, grace increased all the more. You can be faithful because God has been faithful to you. Your whole life can flow from the fountain of his faithfulness to you. And when you realize God's faithfulness towards you, Samuel says, verse 20, serve him with all of your heart. Here we go again. How many times have we seen this? One and two Samuel, there's a reason we've called this series Heart and House. Serve him with all your heart. That's the only appropriate response. Faithful people give their heart to God, not just their works. That's why we have called the church to a season of repentance. Because we realize that many of us have found ourselves to be half-hearted. 
And so we're taking the time to keep praying together and confessing together. We need to give all our hearts to God. We need to respond appropriately. Return to him with everything we've got. Samuel has laid it out here. Here's your choice. Be faithful or be fickle. Continue making decisions that deny God's rule and reign or return to him and remain in him. Come, receive his mercy and give him all of your heart. And this old man, Samuel, has been a walking example of what it looks like to be faithful, to live for God with all of his heart. He began in the Word and in prayer in Eli's house. And he finishes his life in Word and prayer. Faithful people are committed to the Word of God and to prayer. J.I. Packer, a faithful man that was up there on that screen earlier, he said this, A little knowledge of God is worth more than a great deal of knowledge about Him. You get that? You can know all about God, but do you really know God? Giving your heart to God, being in relationship with Him, that cannot ever be separated from how you relate to His Word, because it's His Word, and prayer. So if you want to know God, if you want to really know Him, be in relationship with Him, you've got to keep going back to His Word. You've got to keep going. What, what does... What is it that God is saying to me? What is it that God has said? What do, I want to find out about his character. I want to find out what he's like. Well, go here. Don't go to some wilderness inside of you as if you can find it there. No, no, no. <laughs> go to God and let him inform the inside of you. Let him inform your heart. And we cannot separate it from prayer. Prayer. Constantly looking to talk to God, to be with God, to walk with God. That is what prayer is, being in communion with God. Now, I just want us to notice one thing here about prayer. And I think it kind of is an affront on our culture. Notice the reason he gives for praying for the people is not that he likes them. It's that he would be sinning before God if he didn't pray for them as, his lead, as their leader. This isn't the WhatsApp message that says, praying for you, and then you never do. I have to say, look, I have to say, I have been guilty of that. You have the best intentions, I'm going to pray for you, and then you don't. Now, hopefully for me, like, most of the time I'm praying. I mean it. I want to catch myself when I say it and I don't mean it. I mean it. There are moments, and we need to avoid that nonsense, because this is godly integrity that Samuel has, and there's a great difference between godly integrity and what we might believe to be authenticity. And it's why we have such trouble with the phrase, fear God. Today's pop culture definition of authenticity says, live life according to how you feel. It's only real if you feel. Feel it. Do you realize what you're saying when you do that? 
You're saying to your emotions, to your impulses, to your anxieties, to the effects of social media and circumstance, come over here and reign over me. No questions asked. No. We don't want that up and down nonsense. We need God to define us and shape us, the God who never changes, the God who is ever reliable, the promise keeper. That's who we need. It's not being true to yourself by being true to your ups and downs. Oh, your true self is image bearer of God, redeemed in Christ under his word. Let's say I was a McDonald's employee, okay? Tomorrow morning, the alarm goes off. I'm supposed to start my shift at six. I've got some McNuggets to make. And instead of getting up, I roll over and I go, feeling a bit tired today. Just going to chill. Just going to go back to sleep. I hope if I told you that, that you would say to me, come on, Ian. You're, you're a McDonald's employee, okay? You're expected to be there on time. You're letting people down. You have responsibilities. Go and be a McDonald's employee. What if you wake up tomorrow morning set your alarm for prayer half past five you go "Ah, I'm just not really feeling it I need my rest, I'm feeling tired you roll over, fall back asleep you're a child of God your emotion, your feeling in that moment is I don't want this fight it get up Get out of bed, get on your knees, pray. Be with God. Be the child of God that you are. Our generation, I think, is in trouble in the church. Because we've started to believe that the authority is within ourselves instead of God himself. We need God. Get up, cry out to him, keep reading, go to be with your brothers and sisters. When you don't feel like going to Grace Community after a hard day at work, that's probably the time you really need it. It's probably the time you most need to be at Grace Community. Don't not turn up because you feel like the best thing for you would be just to rest. Listen, there are appropriate times for that. But I think much more rarely than we make out. Be committed. Be who you are. The family of God. Jesus is Lord, not your feelings. Integrity, faithfulness, and genuine authenticity are to practice what you preach, to live as you have been called. That's what Samuel did, and Israel had failed to do. But remember, okay? I've gone off on a rant. But remember, remember, the good news is that the God remains faithful to you. And he is waiting to welcome you back. So if any of that just hit a spot where you're like, oh man, I feel guilty now, just immediately repent. Turn the other way. I want to be with you, Lord, and I know that you're waiting for me, that you're faithful unlike me, and I love that. I get to be with you now. That is the grace of God. I know many of you 
have this strange ambition as I do to be faithful. If that's not you, would you join us? Would you build something significant for God by simply being faithful day to day, week to week, month to month, year to year? Find strength in God, not in individual or collective strength. Remember the faithfulness of God. Give your heart and not just your works and be committed to God's word and to prayer. That's how we be faithful like Samuel. All right, as we get ready to baptize Leah, um, I just want to encourage us that we expect God to speak to us. Yes, in his word, and that's where the authority is. Everything gets weighed against that. But also, he speaks to us in pictures, give us an encouragement, a word. If you have something today, um, please do. I'm just going to be down here. Come and grab me. Um, or Johnny, where are you? Johnny, over here. Um, come and grab one of us and just say, hey, look, I'm wondering about this. And um, if we're like, yeah, great, then we'll get an opportunity to share it later. Or we might say, hey, maybe we share that another time or share that directly with this person or whatever it is most appropriate. All right, let me pray. And then I'm going to invite Leah to come and share her testimony after that. Lord, in a, a faithless, fickle, up-and-down, change-in-a-minute generation, we want to be faithful. Faithful like you have been faithful to us. Lord, thank you for your faithfulness. Thank you, God, that you love us and you love us and you love us and you love us. No matter what we do, you just love us. There is no explanation for any of this except you are good. And so, God, now as we come to baptize Leah, which we celebrate together in your grace, knowing that we are no longer condemned, but we have been set free in Christ Jesus, died to our old lives, and that's what gloriously is going to be symbolized in a minute with Leah going down into the grave. But, Lord, oh. Not only did we die to our old lives with you, not only did you cleanse us of our sin, not only did you defeat death, but, oh, Lord, I defeat our sin, but, oh, Lord, you defeat death. And out of the grave we came, out of the grave uh, we have come to new life. And one day we'll get to be with you forever in a perfect new creation. And, Lord, until that day, would we be faithful. We love you. Thank you, God, that you're here with us. Come, Holy Spirit.